In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Aloha from Hawaii. George from live from my backyard. Uh, got some new book reviews for you. One in particular that has really been on my mind is, let me show you here. It's called Worlds in Collision by Emmanuel Velikovsky. Some of you might be aware of them. Uh, it's one of these books that once you pick it up and you start reading it a little bit, it's impossible to put down. It, it, it just takes you down so many different avenues of how things might have been or what things really are. What, what would you say if I told you that everything you know about celestial mechanics is wrong? Well, you'd probably say, I think that this dummy sitting in Hawaii doesn't know what he's talking about. You'd probably be right. However, it doesn't mean that Velikovsky is wrong. Um, you can tell by the title, Worlds in Collision, that he is talking about planets in collision or worlds in collision. And he, this is one of the most heavy footnoted books I've ever read in my life. And the word on the street is that this book was open on the table when Einstein died. I don't know if that's true. It's probably just a rumor. Um, I thought I'd get a little bit into it and maybe read you some passages so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. I'll try to give you a rough a rough uh, overview of a little bit, and then I'll read some quotes from it and kind of do a little bit of a deeper dive. His hypothesis is that the Earth goes through many ages. And every one of those ages usually ends in like a catastrophe or a cataclysm. Kind of a little bit about what Randall Carlson talks about, or Graham Hancock talks about in their books. Although obviously this was written much, much further. And it sounds crazy at first. However, the amount of footnotes in this book, you could have a whole library 
of the books that are just in the footnotes. There's got to be thousands of them. And they're, they're interesting books, too. They're like Mayan codices and you know, the Legends of the Jews by Ginsberg, which is like a seven-volume set. And most of you, like me, who enjoy reading, realize that... Well, this is what my grandpa told, my grandpa told me when I was young. He says, George, if you want a new idea, read a really old book. And the majority of these books that are footnoted are old books from, you know, the 1850s to the 1920s. This book itself was written in 1950 and put out by Doubleday. So he, he talks up quite a bit in, in one area that he, that I found convincing is that when we've all read the Homeric verses and they talk about Mars and they talk about Aphrodite and you know, there are some people that believe those are just metaphors for feelings, whether it's anger or love. And yet there's other people like Julian Jaynes that believe that those were actual voices that people heard. However, Velikovsky's ideas are, are the literal translation, literal, the literal translation. So when he talks about Mars coming to fight on the battlefield, he's literally talking about the planet Mars coming within within our atmosphere and just causing havoc causing you know thousand foot waves to rise if you think about how the moon pulls the tides what would happen if a large body came in between us and the moon would that just pull the ocean waters hundreds of feet or maybe miles into the sky or you know that would make sense if 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 something had that kind of gravitational pull or you know, perhaps it's a electromagnetic pull that pulls it all the way up, and it could just swarm over the continent or the continents. If something came that close, would it have the ability to maybe change the way the Earth rotates on its axis? Could it change the the elliptical elliptical rotation of us around the? around the sun? Could it change our rotation? Could it change our rotation around the sun? Could it change the shape of our rotation around the sun? What would that do to the, what would that do to the climate? You know, would it, would it produce plagues? Well, if you want those answers to the best of your ability, I think this is the book for you right here. So let me just kind of start off a little bit in the front and then I'll read some passages out of the back and then we'll, we'll kind of do a little bit of a, a deeper dive on there. So I'll start with world ages, you know, since we are indeed at the end of an age now, it's, it's kind of got me thinking with, with climate change and, you know, whether it's man-made or not man-made, you can't argue that the North Pole is not migrating rapidly. Um, there's a lot of changes going along. And so as I finished up this book, it just got me thinking, like, this is an end of an age. And according to Velikovsky, the, and not just Velikovsky, but as you'll see, a lot of people that came before us, they all agreed that the end of an age ends in cataclysm. And so let me just give you some proof for that. <clears throat> this is a spot that says, uh, Hesiod, one of the earliest Greek authors, wrote about four ages and four generations of men that were destroyed by the wrath of the planetary gods. Again, that's 
according to Velikovsky, he's saying that this is a literal translation, the planetary gods. And if you remember your Greek mythology, you'll know that in those times they believed that the actual planets were gods. So, this is more on Hesiod. He talks about the third age was the age of bronze when it was destroyed by Zeus. A new generation repeopled the earth and using bronze for arms and tools, they began to use iron too. The heroes of the Trojan were of this fourth generation. Then a new destruction was decreed and after that came yet another generation, the fifth of men who are upon the bounteous earth, the generation of iron. In another work of his, Hesiod described the end of one of the ages. The life-giving earth crashed around in burning. All the land seethed and the oceans streams. It seemed even as if earth and wide heaven above came together for such a mighty crash would have arisen if earth were being hurled to ruin and heaven from on high were hurling her down. Okay, so that's Hesiod. I mean, if you read it, the literal translation is, you know, planets colliding. <laughs> Hence the book Worlds in Collision. So here's another part that says the sacred Hindu book, the Bhagavad Gita, Purana, tells of four ages and of paralayas and cataclysms in which in various epochs mankind was nearly destroyed. The fifth age is that of the present. <clears throat> the world ages are called kalpas or yugas. Each world age met its destruction in catastrophe and conflagration, flood and hurricane. Okay. Reference to ages and catastrophes is found in Avesta. The sacred scriptures of Mazdaism, the ancient religion of the Persians. One of the books of Avesta counts seven world ages or millennia. Zarathustra, the prophet of Mazdaism, speaks of the signs, wonders, and perplexity which are manifest in the world of the end of each millennium. The Chinese call the perished ages kiss, the number of ten kiss from the beginning of the world until Confucius. In the ancient Chinese encyclopedia, the general convulsions of nature are discussed. Because of the peri periodicity of these convulsions, the span of time between two, two catastrophes is regarded as a great year. As during a year, so during a world age, the cosmic mechanism winds itself up, and in a general convulsion of nature, the sea is carried out of its bed. Mountains spring out of the ground, rivers change their course, human beings and everything are ruined, and the ancient traces faced. An old tradition, and a very persistent one of world ages that went down in cosmic catastrophes, was found in the Americas among the Incas, the Aztecs, and the Mayas. A major part of stone inscriptions found in Yucatan refer to world catastrophes. The most ancient of these fragments refer in general to great catastrophes which at intervals and repeatedly convulsed the American continent, and of which all nations of this continent have preserved a more or less distinct memory. So, most people know that there's, you know, there's a flood story in almost all religions, on all parts of the world. You know, this is just further evidence that just from different 
times in different parts of the world, everyone is explaining the same thing. They may have different words to describe it. You know, it's exactly the same, only different. So the first part of the book kind of gets into as an overview and it talks about Venus and Mars a little bit and, and it takes you on a a journey around the world that shows the similarity of the stories told by different people and and then he kind of brings it together. So here's another part too that that I that he gives a lot of evidence for and he talks about how there are a lot of references in mythology and biblical scriptures and religious texts that talk about how the sun didn't always rise in the east and set in the west. He talks about, in Plato's terminology, revolution of the same is from east to west, and revolution of the other is from west to east. In the Statesman, Plato put the symbolic language into very simple terms, speaking of the reversal of the quarters in which the sun rises and sets. A Latin author of the 3rd century of the present era wrote of the people living in, on the southern border of Egypt. The inhabitants of this country say that they have it from their ancestors that the sun now sets where it formerly rose. The traditions of people agree in synchronizing the changes in the movement of the sun with great catastrophes which terminated world ages. The Chinese say that it is only since a new order of things has come about that the stars move from east to west. The signs of the Chinese zodiac have the strange peculiarity of proceeding in a retrograde direction, that is, against the course of the sun. In the Syrian city, Ras Shamra, was found a poem dedicated to the planet goddess Anat, who massacred the population of the Levant and who exchanged the two dawns and the position of the stars. The reversal of east and west, if combined with the reversal of north and south, would turn the constellations of the north into constellations of the south and show them in reversed order, as in the chart of the southern sky on the ceiling of Senmont's tomb. The stars of the north would become stars of the south. This is what seems to be described by the Mexicans as the driving away of the 400 southern stars. Hebrew sources on the present problem are numerous. In Tractate Sanhedrin of the Talmud, it is said, seven days before the deluge, the Holy One changed the primeval order of the sun, rose in the west, and set in the east. You guys getting excited about this? Pretty amazing, right? So that's, it also goes on to talk about the reverse polarity of the earth, the quarters of the world displaced. So that's, that is a big part of the first one there. Now I've got a couple copies because I try to keep a, a copy in each room and one in my car. So that's, that was the one I was reading that I highlighted some stuff in the first part. And here's one that I was reading and highlighting some stuff towards the back part. So... Let's see what we got over here. This is this one. This one is quite a bit more about. Uh, this one kind of gets into some mythology of Hawaii, where I live, and the, the different Pacific Islands, and so let me just go ahead and and read to you a little bit about some of these ones here. 
The following is a passage from the Surya Siddhartha, a classic of Hindu astronomy. After an introduction, it proceeds only by reason of the revolution of the ages. There is here a difference of times. The translator of the ancient manual supplied an annotation to these words. According to the commentary, the meaning of these last verses is that a successive great ages, that in successive great ages, there were slight differences in the motion of the heavenly bodies, explaining the term biha, which means a correction of time in every new age. The book of Surya says that time is the destroyer of the world. This part I found really interesting. Biha, that, that, which means a correction of time in every new age. Have you guys ever spent some time thinking about how we measure time? Well, Velikovsky goes into, into different calendars and how the, some of the ancient people before us measured time. And there is, there is a very interesting similarity in that. A lot of people around the world measured time at 360 days instead of 365 days. They had a set of 10 months for, yeah, they had a set of, and they had 10 months instead of 12 months. And when you think about that, there's still some residue of that because you look at, you know, September, October, November, December, right? September is seven, October is eight, November would be nine, and December would be 10. But that's not the way we have them, right? December is 12, November is 11, October is 10. November is nine. So you can see that there's a little bit of, it's a bit obtuse, right? Because the, the prefix on those definitely denotes the, the previous, what I said, seven, eight, nine, and 10. So that, that got me thinking as well. Just the, the idea of how different calendars You know, so many people live their life according to the calendar. So many people just go, okay, well, it's this holiday. Okay, it's Friday. Okay, it's Christmas. And you, people let the calendar tell them what to do. Especially in America, it seems like we're just so caught up on time management and defining who we are by, by how much people pay us for our time. I think it's a huge problem. And I, I often wonder if, if we could teach a class, my daughter's in kindergarten, I often wonder if, if we could teach them to see time differently, is it possible that they could grow up and change the world? Just by changing that one aspect at a young age of introducing them to a different idea of what time is. I realize there's been a lot of money put into coercing and manipulating people to see things a certain way. And I think one of those things is, you know, people that get paid by the hour or just seeing your time as money. I don't, I think it's a horrible trade off and constantly looking for ways to pull the blinders off people so they don't have to, to see it like that. You know, it's a, I've heard people say that time is a measurement of an of objects in space. 
and it it's it's an amazing thing to think about so sorry for that little tangent there let's see where else can we go here here's one the year of 360 days prior to the last series of cataclysms when we as we assume the globe spun on an axis pointed in a different direction in space with its poles at a different location on a different orbit the year could not have been the same as it has been since. Pretty interesting, right? Numerous evidences are preserved which prove that prior to the year of 365 and a quarter days, the year was only 360 days long. Nor was that year of 360 days primordial. It was a transitional form between a year of still fewer days and the present year. In the period of time between the last of the series of catastrophes of the 15th century and the first in the series of catastrophes of the 8th century, the duration of a seasonal revolution appears to have been 360 days. In order to substantiate my statement, I invite the reader on a worldwide journey. We start in India. The text of the Veda period known a year of only 360 days, all Veda texts speak uniformly and exclusively of a year of 360 days. Passages in which the length of the year is directly stated are found in all the Brahmanas. It is striking that the Vedas nowhere mention an intercalary period, and while repeatedly stating that the year consists of 360 days, nowhere refer to the five or six days that actually are part of the solar year. Yeah, it, it, it just, it's amazing to me. So I hope that a little bit of this has got you guys thinking about is it possible is it possible that maybe we kind of went the wrong way is it possible that some of our forefathers or our ancestors or the people that lived on this earth before us were trying to write down literally what happened in these biblical texts and due to us not having the mental capacity or us maybe being steered the wrong way by corruption or money or leaders that we have chosen to see the literal translation change into metaphor? Is it possible that the powers that be or the leaders of our so-called countries have decided that it's better for us to just kind of live in amnesia than worry about the end of the world? Is it possible that People have forgotten what sacrifice is and how lucky we are to be here and how beautiful every day can be if you just live it to the fullest. You know, I just, and going back, it just, in, in summary, it just gets me thinking that we are at the end of an age and uh, a lot of people are quarantined right now from a new type of plague almost. I know you can make the argument it's a, bioweapon but then I would make the argument that the people that made that bioweapon are the plague it just it seems that we are at the end of an age you know on a, on a side note too if you if you go and look at NASA right now we're kind of passing through this these Apollo type asteroids that it's, I mean it's kind of amazing that I think the last three days there's been four that have swung by within a you know a 
they're far, but not far for a planet. You know, there's something like, I don't know, a million kilometers, which in celestial terms is like a, I don't know, like a hair's breadth away. I'm surprised we haven't seen some things in the atmosphere that are burning up, or maybe you have. So I, I just want to invite everybody to, to take a look at that. And I hope you take a chance to, to get this book right here. This is, let me show you this one here. It's Worlds in Collision. Can you guys see that there? Worlds in Collision by Emmanuel Velikovsky. It's actually a, the first book in a series of books. It's a, and I've got them over here. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.